0: Isaiah 6 will read the whole chapter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. May God bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that You would give us insight and understanding, illuminate our minds and our hearts as we contemplate Your Word today. Write its truth upon our hearts. Help it mold and shape us. We pray Your Spirit to transform us. Uh, Help us be convinced of Your great love. Uh, to us and that that you offer to us extend to us a real invitation to come into a relationship with you and we pray that we would heed that call we pray this in Jesus name amen I want to speak today about uh, things that are concepts versus things that are realities now I lived in England our family lived in England for about seven years And before we left to go over there, uh, England was uh, a concept. You know, we could read books about it. We could uh, watch documentaries on TV and see pictures of what the land looked like. But once we went and visited, it was uh, a whole different experience. We had some firsthand knowledge of it. And then beyond that, once we moved there and having lived there seven years... That was a whole different experience. One where, uh, you know, all the pictures and the documentaries and the books that we read, we experienced it for ourselves. We had firsthand experience. But even that experience would be nothing compared to the experience of someone who uh, was born there and was a was a citizen of that land and had lived there all their all their lives. See, they knew it better than we would ever know it. You can think about it in, in many different categories. For example, sports. You know, A lot of us like to watch football on TV. But watching it on TV is nothing like playing it. And I'm sure, uh, like my experience of playing in high school on a very, very poor team, uh, is nothing like being an NFL player with the speed and the strength and the complicated play calling and all that goes into an NFL team. Uh, That's a whole other level of experience. Well, today, uh, as we see this experience that Isaiah has, he encounters God uh, in in a a transforming way. Uh, God moved from being just a concept to a very real reality. Uh, And the same is true with us. You know, we can know things about God we can know a lot of facts we can have spent our years going to Sunday school and gathering up all the biblical knowledge but there's a difference between just knowledge and actually experiencing God and having a relationship with Him you see here that Isaiah uh, he's in the temple Uh, he believes in God of course he's there to worship God and, and I'm not sure he was expecting to experience all that he experienced there. When God's glory fills the temple and he sees them high and lifted up and the angelic beings are, are saying, holy, holy, holy. You know, he believed there was a God. It's not like he came in and when this happened he goes, oh, there really is a God. He, he knew that there was a God. But this was something on a completely different level that he experienced. And it made a profound impact upon his life. God as a concept was not a problem to him. He could understand God as a concept, but now that the Lord has revealed himself to him in a very real and tangible and quite frankly frightening way, it transforms his life and calls him, into mission. Now hopefully by looking at Isaiah's experience, we too will come to know God as a reality. Uh, I'll try to paint that picture for you. That's very difficult to do, but we'll look at what what Isaiah sees and and draw some parallels between our experience. And we'll look at this experience that he has under four headings. We're going to look at the vision, uh, then we want to look at repentance, and then atonement, and then mission. But in the first four verses, we read about the vision of Isaiah, where his concept of God becomes a reality. Isaiah sees the Lord on a throne, high and lifted up. And just as a quick aside, you'll notice that Isaiah tells us that this occurred in the year that King Uzziah died. And that's significant. King Uzziah was a good king, and he reigned for 52 years, kind of like... uh, uh, the, uh, queen elizabeth in england you know one of these long reigns that he had and he was he was a good king uh he had done some good things and you can imagine the threat of instability that loomed over the people of judah now the queen of england is kind of a figurehead and she doesn't have a whole lot of power but king uzziah had all the power he was truly the king of israel king of judah uh, he He died, and so there was worry for a good reason. Judah would never be this strong again. The Assyrians were gaining power. Um, uh, Then after them, the Babylonians, of course, would come along. But what a great time for Isaiah to see the real king. You know, human uh, empires, human kingdoms will crumble and will fall and will fail. But here in the midst of that uncertainty that Isaiah is experiencing... He sees this vision of the true king on his throne, ruling and reigning over everything. And that's a great comfort to Isaiah and to us as we think about the times in which we live. God is on that throne still today. He is in charge. Well, Isaiah sees the Lord in his majesty and glory attended by these angelic beings, these seraphim. And these flaming angels, now don't think of, you know, sometimes we seraphim and cherubim or similar creatures and we think of cherubs as little fat babies you know having just had valentine's day uh, looking like cupid or something but these would have been some angelic beings with power and uh, would have been somewhat disconcerting and frightening to see so don't have that hallmark card imagery in your mind when you think of seraphim but they were worshiping constantly uh, this uh, god the great king and saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the place is shaking and is filled with smoke. So Isaiah sees God in his majesty, in his holiness, and his glory. Now we understand that concept of majesty. God is kings, we've been talking about. He's the supreme king, he rules over all, and he's there on his throne, and Isaiah sees him high. And lift it up. But what does holiness mean? You know, when we think of holiness, we often think of purity. And the Bible does use the word holiness that way. But the idea of a purity or moral perfection is uh, really the secondary meaning of the term in the Bible. When the seraphim sang their song, they weren't just saying, Purity, 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 that God is pure. Uh, They were saying something much more profound than that. When you look at the word uh, holy in the original language, it comes from an old word that means to cut or to separate. And so when you talk about something being holy, what you're actually saying is that, and to put it in maybe a a phrase we might use today, you're saying that something is a a cut above or it's separate, it's, it's above. Uh, something else. So we might you know, look at an Armani suit uh, compared to the one you'd buy at Walmart and say, well, the Armani suit is a cut above the one you would buy at Walmart. Probably several cuts above the one you'd buy at Walmart. You know, we, we talk about something being much better, uh, having m- much more uh, quality. And that's the, what the word holiness here means. It means that he, God is a cut above everything else he's transcendent he he is higher and greater than anything else so he's he's holy he's set apart and as we think about that God this is his crowning characteristic. so all of his characteristics are holy you know we like to talk about God's God's love, uh, God's grace, God's righteousness. But we could could always say uh, about each of these characteristics that God is holy love, H-O-L-Y, holy, holy righteous, holy merciful, holy kind. In other words, his love is a cut above and higher and more transcendent than any love that you would find anywhere else. His righteousness is far beyond any righteousness that you would find anywhere else. So all of God's characteristics are holy. He is transcendently separate from His creation. High and lifted up. All of His characteristics are holy. And then it goes even further as we think about what the seraphim are actually saying. They aren't just saying "Holy is the Lord." They're saying "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord," and that just sounds like a nice song to us uh, that we might sing on occasion. But in the in Hebrew grammar, when you wanted to express uh, a superlative, uh, you know, we have comparative and superlative. You know, something is good. It's better. It's the best. In Hebrew, you don't change the word; you just repeat it. So, in for example, there's a passage in 2 Kings 25 which talks about the gold in the temple, and instead of just saying it's uh, very precious and pure gold, literally it says it's gold, gold. And uh, in Genesis 14, when they throw Joseph in the pit, we know it was a really nasty pit because it says they threw Joseph in a pit, pit twice. In Hosea, the passage that I've been studying this week, you know, uh, Gomer, Hosea's wife, who is a prostitute, her lifestyle is described in those terms twice. She was a prostitute prostitute. She wasn't just a prostitute. So she was really bad, really unfaithful. That's how it's expressed in Hebrew. But here... The only time it's done like this in the Bible, it's mentioned three times. God is not holy. He's not just holy, holy, which we would say He's the holiest. But it's like, if you wanted to put it in bad English, it's like they're saying God is the most holiest, which is bad grammar, of course. His holiness, His transcendence... His greatness, He's so far above. It's, it's beyond even human expression. He's that holy, that set apart, that above us. And Isaiah sees this. He sees not only His holiness, but His glory. Yes, he sees how transcendent God is. He says, the whole earth is full of His glory. That's what the seraphim are saying. And Isaiah sees this. Now the word glory there means weight. It's something that ha- is, is that has importance. That's heavy. Of course, they used that. Uh, they didn't use paper money like we do. Uh, you know, if you took the gr- the the ink off of our money, you couldn't tell the difference between a five dollar bill and a one dollar bill. It's pretty much the same size. It's a rectangle piece of cloth. Well, they used silver and gold, so something had more worth you use more gold to buy it, it would be heavier. Glory, something that is important is heavy, and that's the word there. When you only have God as a concept, it's lighter than you are. It's an idea that you have in your mind. But when you understand God as a reality, He has weight. He has importance. He outweighs you. He's bigger than you are. And that's the kind of relationship we should have with God to relate to him in that way. Not just to hold him uh, as part of our lives over here on the side that we consult on uh, you know, when we need him, but something that is so much greater that demands all of our attention, all of our lives. That's what he encounters here. And if you want to see what that looks like today, you're going to have to turn to the pages of the Bible. This holy, glorious, super-transcendent God became a man. If you want to know what that holiness looked like, look at Jesus. And that's what John 1 says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to invite you to look at Christ, to, to view him, his person, his life, his perfect life, how he loved us. You know, what does it say there in John 1? That, that this holy God who became flesh, he was full of grace and truth. Isn't that wonderful? God didn't come to us to, as he goes on to say in John chapter 3, to condemn us. Condemn the world that the world might be saved through him. He came searching for us so that we could know the reality of this holy, transcendent God. He's full of grace and truth, and so he invites us into a relationship. Jesus said, we can look at several passages, Matthew 11, for example, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to the wedding feast. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. These invitations are all through the Gospels, and Christ is inviting us to have that kind of same experience that that Isaiah did, to get to know personally, have a personal relationship with his holy God. Now the glory of his holiness can cause a reaction, and we see this in Isaiah. We see it when uh, when Isaiah sees all this going on. What does he say? Verse five: Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Literally, what he says there is: He says, "I am coming apart. I am I am going to explode." Uh, because i have seen god i am doomed to die you see when you move into the presence of the holy it can be traumatic you think about the disciples when they were with jesus out in the in the, in the boat and you know the winds kick up and the storm comes and jesus is asleep and they're like you know teacher do you not care that we are perishing And, of course, he wakes up and says, peace be still. And everything is just like that, calm. And you love their reaction, it says. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They kind of had a small idea that Jesus was the Messiah, but here he is with a word stilling the sea." And they're like, wow, that's, that's something more than we thought he was. Now you think about this, think about it in human terms, when, when you come into contact with human superlativeness, you know, with human greatness, uh, it can crush your self-esteem. You know, I was a pretty good high jumper in college. Uh, I was all conference a couple of years. And, uh. It's the first meet of my senior year was 88, 89. So the Summer Olympics had just happened the year before. Well, somebody invited the Olympic gold medalist to the first meet that we were at. And this guy was from Russia. And I think he was like 6'6". Six, six, and I, I know 6 feet of him were legs. <laughs> it was, he was the weirdest looking dude ever. So I... Started, you know, we took our turns jumping. I mean, this guy had just gotten off a plane from Russia. And I mean, like three that morning. And uh, so we jump and jump and, you know, miss. And finally, I'm out of the competition. Well, he hasn't even started jumping yet. You know, you don't have to enter in when it starts. You can just pick your height. So he started, you know, way after I had finished. And, of course, he beat everybody easily. Jet lagged on a, you know, probably 15, 20-hour trip from Russia and wins. That kind of made me feel small. (laughs) I'm not that great anymore. Or you think about somebody from a small town who has a great voice and, you know, all their life everybody's been saying, oh, you, you should really go and hit the big time and sing. And so they move off to New York City. And then they realize, wow, you know, singers like me are a dime a dozen. In fact, the guy who's uh, busking in the subway has a greater voice than I could ever wish to have you know you just come into this into a, a sea of something that's bigger and greater than you are well that's what's happened here to, to Isaiah uh, and what happens to me uh, to us when we come into contact with the holy and the great God he is so far above us and it can make us recognize that we are weak and that's not a bad place to be That's reality. That we need a Savior. We need someone to save us. And we're not all the wonderful, great person that we thought we were. And so Isaiah gets this experience. The disciples had that experience. The feeling of smallness, of their own sinfulness. And then the next thing, the atonement comes. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that had taken with the tongs from the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angelic being takes some tongs and has some hot coals coming at me, I'm not going to be feeling really good at that moment. I'm sure Isaiah's going, yes, not only do I think I'm going to die because I've seen God, but now one of his creatures is coming at me with fire from God to destroy me. And surely that's what Isaiah and the rest of us deserve. But what does it say? He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And isn't that ex- the experience that is offered to us through Christ? Yes, we fall far short of God's holiness. A- and we are very small and sinful and broken and God should come at us with with the fire of his wrath and destroy us but he comes to us with his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his tenderness the prodigal the story of the prodigal son you know you think you know the, the poor prodigal guy he, he you know he burns up all the father's inheritance and he's off living in the land and he thinks I'm just going to go crawling back and you know maybe I can win God, uh, my dad's favor back by being one of his servants and before he even gets close to the to the house. As soon as he, the father, sees him in the distance, the father runs out to him, and that's the picture of the father we have in, in this passage, in that passage, throughout the Bible. One who invites us to, as we read before, to come and, and to be forgiven and cleansed, and that's his experience. First John 4:9 says, "In this." The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We, we often forget that God is love and that He uh, is merciful. Merciful. You know, we struggle with our sinfulness and we just are waiting for God to bring the fire of His wrath down upon us. And yes, that's what we deserve, but He doesn't come to us that way. As I said at the beginning of the service today, He's inviting us, wherever we are, you know, lazy, uh, broken, even unbelieving, He just invites us to come to Him. And He will welcome us in and have mercy and he will cleanse us from our sin and he will free us from the power of sin and that's what Isaiah experiences this cleansing this repentance that the change as he uh, embraces God and God does this work in him Christ has come to earth to do this for us he has gone out of his way to reach out to us so that we might experience his grace and mercy Well, finally, the fourth thing we see here is the mission. Uh, A changed agenda for Isaiah's life. Uh, He hears the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah jumps up and says, Here I am, send me. Surely that's the response of a grateful heart, of having a relationship with God, of having been forgiven and cleansed and having his sin atoned for. The response is, Lord, what can I do for you? You have done everything for me. What can I do for you? It's not trying to pay him back. We could never do that. It's just showing love in return, like we've read. He loved us. So the response should be that we love him back. He's won, he wins our love by loving us. When God become, becomes a reality in your life, your agenda changes. God becomes your agenda. You know, sometimes we use God because we want our agenda to be met. God, I want this, that, and the other. Give it to me. You know, I'm gonna I'll go to church, I'll do all these things so that you'll bless me. See, that's that's backwards thinking. That's using God to get what you really want. That's not just Loving and worshiping God for who he is. That's putting forward your agenda. See, the example Isaiah has is whatever you want, Lord, I'll do it. You've done everything for me, whatever you want. I'll give you my whole life. It's all yours. So whatever agenda you have for me, I'll do it. That's a hard thing to say. It's a scary thing to say. And you see what what God told Isaiah, say, I want you to go and preach, but nobody's going to listen. Could you imagine that? <laughs> Gee, thanks, God. <laughs> You're going to send me to the people, and I'm going to tell them all about you, and no one's going to listen. How long? How long am I going to have to do this, Lord? <laughs> until, until all these people are sent off into exile. So it was not a very promising mission that Isaiah was given. But Isaiah delivered the message that the Lord gave him. And we have a wonderful, the, the wonderful prophecy of Isaiah, the evangelical prophet he is called. So many wonderful things there that point us to the Messiah. That's what he got. But he delighted in that, I'm sure, delighting in serving the Lord that had loved him and saved him. So when we have an encounter with the living God, it can create a seismic shift in our priorities and our value system, in our view of wealth, time, and, and even our safety, uh, we give it all to the Lord. But we have to remember that he always has our best interests at heart. He always, you know, when he, when he gave uh, Isaiah this commission, that was the best thing that he could have done for Isaiah. He was showing Isaiah the, the great love by giving him that commission, and us great love, because we have the results of that. It is 92 million miles from the Earth to the Sun. That's a long ways. And if that distance was reduced to the width of a uh, sheet of paper, so one sheet of paper represented 92 million miles, then the distance between the Earth and the next nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The diameter of the galaxy... Just our galaxy, which is a small one, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And this, of course, our galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. God created all that through Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of His power, that is Jesus Christ. Now, is this someone you invite into your your life to be your assistant or your (laughs) co-pilot? No, this is someone to whom you surrender everything. This is not someone who you use to achieve your ends. Rather, this is someone to whom you say, not my will, but your will be done. Or to put it in Isaiah's words, here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to grasp your glory and your power, your might, and your love, who you are, and how you have exhibited these things to us in Christ. Lord, it's hard to put it all in words, uh, but we pray that you would help us by Your Spirit, illuminating our hearts, that we could could come to know You like Isaiah knew You, that we would come to love You and to serve You. Lord, we do pray that You would forgive our sins and cleanse us and that we would be useful to You. Pray that You would keep us from wanting You to be useful to us even though you are. Lord, we pray that you would be our priority. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.